0: All right. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of gathering together as a family to break bread together, Father, the very bread of life, to dine on the word of truth. Thank you for the fellowship that you've afforded us. Thank you for binding us together in love for each other. Most of all, for your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the tie that binds us all. Father, we're grateful for your patience and your mercy with us. We just pray for those that can't be with us this evening, that you return them to us as quickly as possible. Your will be done, of course. Pray also for those that are still lost in this world, Father. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for the work your son accomplished on the cross in our stead. Cancel out that debt and to make a celebration like this evening a reality. Father, we just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit we do pray. Amen. Again, the Lord is our confidence. Uh, part 24. Part um, When's the last time you ever heard someone say aloud, call me ugly to my face? I'm going to go with never, right? I mean, who's ever said that? Maybe never. Call me ugly to my face. When's the last time you've ever heard someone say that aloud? Maybe never. Why? What is the problem if a person really is ugly? You can laugh. You guys are like, I don't know what the problem is. It's all right. (laughs) This is going somewhere, I promise. I'm not talking about physical beauty, which is probably what is making you giggle. Uh, I'm not talking about physical beauty or those standards, man or woman. I'm talking about a scale regarding true beauty, or in this case, ugliness. Don't you want those who know you well enough to tell you that you're being ugly to your face? I do. Or would you rather your so-called friends lie to your face? You want the truth? Or do you want lies? And then the question is, of course, what are we afraid of exactly? The truth? Are we afraid of the truth? We wouldn't ask that question? We don't want that from our best friends, because we're afraid of the truth. What is so fragile about us that we can't have an honest conversation with someone who loves us enough to tell us the truth? What's so fragile? What are we, quote, protecting? This is something that came out on Tuesday up here on the board, sort of a tug of war. Confidence, we place our confidence in the wrong things, in other words, and there's this tug of war for our confidence. Where do we place our confidence? Confidence in self depletes, disturbs, and distracts from our confidence in the Lord. They're mutually exclusive things. Again, confidence in self depletes, disturbs, and detracts, or distracts us from our confidence in the Lord. Pride destroys our spiritual lives. It is an agent of death. And, of course, I'm speaking of spiritual death. It is an agent of death. Pride. Pride is a harbinger for double-mindedness in we believers. In other words, it's sort of like uh, something that goes before us. says, you're about to be double-minded here. Um, I'm going to lead you into double-mindedness. Pride can do that very thing, even in we believers. As we've studied in the past, Jesus despised such things, despised hypocrisy. Double-mindedness leads to hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is, in many ways, based on the malady we would call double-mindedness, dipsukos, in the Bible, And pride is what leads us there. So we might be going all well, and then our pride is stoked up, if you would. And the next thing you know, you're sort of living this duality, this thing, this hypocrisy. Because we have a little love for ourselves and a little love for others and that kind of a thing, a double-mindedness. We have a love for Christ, but we also have a strong love for self. And that really is or does usher Uh, us towards spiritual death, which is really bondage and separation from God, etc. So pride is a harbinger for double-mindedness and we believers and Jesus despises hypocrisy. This means that he despises moments in your life when you're being a hypocrite, when you're being ugly. It's ugly. Hypocrisy is, are there many things uglier than Hypocrisy? Maybe not. I know that Jesus truly despised hypocrisy, especially when it comes to love. So, again, Jesus despised moments, despises moments in your life when you're being a hypocrite. Some of you might be saying, you know, I think this honesty thing can go a little too far. You know, there's you can start hurting people or... Um, it's not always good to be honest. You know, there's a time to be dishonest with someone. I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. Um, to those people, I dedicate the following: Go to Luke 11:37, Luke 11:37. So if you think honesty can get a little overboard, there can be too much, so to speak that it's not the right policy, that there's a time to be, you know, dishonest. I dedicate the following to you. Now, you have to look at this. This is incredible. Don't even read it yet. Just imagine you're Jesus, and someone invites you over for lunch, OK? How many of you would have the gumption to do what, he's, what we're going to read he does? This is incredible. Luke eleven thirty seven. Now, when he had spoken, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him. And he went in and reclined at the table. So here he is at the very, you know, dinner, lunch is an intimate time. Right? Eating together is a form of intimacy. He went in and reclined at the table. When the Pharisee saw it, uh, he was surprised that he had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. But the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees clean the outside... Just put this into perspective. They invited him to lunch. (laughs) Right? You Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but inside of you, you are full of robbery and wickedness. (laughs) Hey, thanks for inviting me for lunch. I'm going to now slam you. I'm going to say arguably some of the most offensive things anybody's had the stones ever to say to you. Inside of you, you are full of robbery and wickedness, verse 40. You foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? So now he's calling them fools. But but give that which is within as charity, and then all things are clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet disregard justice and the love of God. Remember, he hated hypocrites. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you Pharisees. He doesn't even stop. (laughs) Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the chief seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. You see the, the split here? What do they love? The wrong things. Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs, and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. One of the lawyers said to him in reply, Teacher, when you say this, you insult us too. And what's he say? Oh, I'm sorry. Nope. But he said, woe to you lawyers as well. (laughs) I'm taking this house down right now. Thanks for lunch. (laughs) For you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear, while you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and it was your fathers who killed them. So you are witnesses and approve the deeds of your fathers because it was they who killed them and you build their tombs for this reason also the wisdom of god said i will send to them prophets and apostles and some of them they will kill and some they will persecute so that the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the house of God, yes, I tell you, it shall be charged against this generation. Woe to you, lawyers! For you have taken away, this is one of my favorite passages, by the way. For you have taken, because it reminds me of um, Roman Catholicism and any religion that puts people in bondage to complexity and complexity of religion. Some of you can relate, right? For you have taken away the key of knowledge. You yourselves, what's the key of knowledge? Understanding, wisdom, right? What's the key to actually understand at the end what this is all about? You might even say it's the gospel. For you have taken away the key of knowledge. You yourselves did not enter, and you hindered those who were entering. So Jesus had a real problem with people who, Uh, robbed others of understanding. When he left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile and to question him closely on many subjects, plotting against him to catch him in something he might say. Under these circumstances, after so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another, he began saying to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is what? Hypocrisy. BUNCH OF BIG OLD BUCKET OF HYPOCRITES. BUT THERE IS NOTHING COVERED UP THAT WILL NOT BE REVEALED, AND HIDDEN THAT WILL NOT BE KNOWN. BEWARE OF THE leaven OF THE PHARISEES, WHICH IS HYPOCRISY. AGAIN, THAT REALLY POINTS BACK TO THE POINT ON THE BOARD. THIS TUG OF WAR. WE CAN BECOME MIGHTY HYPOCRITICAL EVEN IN OUR OWN LIVES. CONFIDENCE IN SELF. ANYTIME WE TURN THAT INTO THAT, IN THAT DIRECTION, WE BECOME hypocrites our loyalty if you would becomes split confidence in self depletes disturbs and distracts from our confidence in the lord pride destroys our spiritual lives it is an agent of death on sunday and tuesday we talked about this the practical side of this we called it bruised egos bruised egos when does you know when does pride sort of stoke up when your ego's challenged let's face it Right. If I was to take the thing you think you're so wonderful about and I was to actually challenge you this day, chances are your pride would go through the roof. And for most of you, I know what it is. Um, and if I was to poke it, your pride would go through the roof. You know, that li- you know that little basket where you get all the, you know, I'm cool, I'm awesome stuff? You know that one? For some of you, it's work. For some of you, it's intellectualism. For some of you, it might be uh, music or something or art. For some of you, it's something else, but your ego is tied to something, and when it gets poked, it's bruised, and all of a sudden, pride goes through the roof, and there you go. Now you're a hypocrite. So, again, on Sunday and Tuesday, we talked about bruised egos, that for most people walking this earth, it's pride that keeps them or keeps us from wanting to hear the whole truth, especially about ourselves. That's all it is. It's pride. I don't want to hear... That, I, you know, that I'm ugly, like we started off. I don't even want my so-called friends to say to me, hey, you're being really ugly right now. I just want everybody to be agreeable and tell me how awesome I am so I can, that little basket of awesomeness can get bigger. So for most people, pride is what keeps us from hearing the whole truth. Jesus understood this about man, but here's the thing. He chose not to hold back, especially in the company of hypocrites. He chose not to hold back, especially in the company of hypocrites. Hey, listen, somebody's got to tell these people, right? Somebody's got to tell you, right? Who's going to do it? A friend, a good friend. They might be an enemy for a day, but that's what a good friend does because that's what love looks like. So the greatest area of hypocrisy is with love. The greatest area of hypocrisy is with love, up here on the board. Romans 12, 9 to 10 in the Amplified. Love is to be sincere and active, the real thing, without guile and hypocrisy. Without guile means cunning, if you would, you know, slick, kind of grotesque, right? Um, Without guile and hypocrisy. Hate what is evil, detest all ungodliness, do not tolerate wickedness, hold on tightly to what is good. Be devoted to one another with authentic, not hypocritical, authentic brotherly affection. As members of one family, give preference to one another in honor. So, without guile and hypocrisy, if you say you love some, someone, then let it be real. Otherwise, don't pretend. I guess that's one of the key points. Otherwise, don't pretend. Something's flicking back there. Probably just my eye. It's probably nothing. If you say you love someone, then let it be real. For starters, Jesus Christ. As we've been learning, to love him is to trust him. You might say, well, how do I really know? Well, do you trust him? To love him is to trust him. If you don't trust him, then something is awry with the love you claim to abide in. As it turns out, there's a very practical side to all of this, a litmus test, so to speak, up here on the board. This came out, I believe, on Tuesday. Freedom comes from trusting the truth. When we approach the truth, for example, read our Bible, we must do so in faith and trust. Without trust leading the way, it's easy, it's too easy to reject what we find. If we reject what we find, we are stunting our own growth and freedom. Galatians 5.1 is for freedom that Christ set us free. When we consult our Bibles, we're consulting Christ himself. It was his spirit that authored it. That's how we are disciples of Christ today. He doesn't walk with us. He doesn't talk directly to us. He talks through the word of truth. It's his word. He's even called the word, John 1.14. So a lot of it has to do with how we approach the truth, what our attitude is. Uh, when we read the Bible, we must do so in faith and trust. If we say we abide in the sphere of love, if we say we love God, we love Jesus Christ, this is how we approach reading our Bible. This is how, in other words, which is tantamount to saying, this is how we approach truth. Sometimes we're going to read the Bible and we're going to say, I look darn ugly today. Having an off day, having a bad day, I'm, I'm just ugly right now. Uh, and that's a really good thing to realize because that's the first step to reorientation. So we can't uh, be bitter about being told uh, in the moment that we're ugly. Without trust leading the way, it's too easy to reject what we find. In other words, you say, I'm not ugly. I don't trust what you're saying about me, so I reject it. And if you do that, you're stunting your own growth, and therefore your own freedom, because that's what sanctification leads to. So we have to examine our attitudes on all of this maybe the most important point from tuesday's message came out as a corollary to the point on the board here it is freedom or bondage the approach to truth dictates what you find does that make sense the approach to truth dictates what you find jesus said he who has ears to hear, let him hear. The implication there, Matthew 11:15, 15, is that not everybody's going to approach the truth the same way. You can hear my voice, but if you reject it, if you reserve the right to reject truth at any point, then you don't hear what the Spirit's trying to say. Your approach is wrong, and therefore what you receive in return is now wrong, is perverted has been uh, sullied, if you would, if that's a, a, a word you can live with. The approach to truth dictates what you find. In other words, it has everything to do with our, our attitude when we approach the truth. Jesus said, he who, has, he who has ears, let him hear. So I was thinking about that. Why are so many people in this world completely deaf? Jesus said, for he who has ears, let him hear. Why are so many people in this world completely deaf? Think of the answer like this, and stretch your imagination a bit here. Imagine that spiritual events were audible, or are audible. Imagine if spiritual events were audible. In other words, for every spiritual stimuli, proportion and frequency translates into a sound. This means that, quote, big events are loud and really common events are like white noise, ever present. The question on the table is why are so many people in this world completely deaf? Maybe I should rephrase it. Why are so many people in this world hard of hearing? I mean, why can't they hear the truth? as a more tangible experiment. After service, jump in your car, find an AM frequency on your radio that is a smidgen away from perfect tuning. You know that? You know, you find it's perfect, then you just nudge it a little bit, so it becomes like, oh my gosh, right? So you get all the annoying static, and maybe even some cross-feed. You get some of the channel kind of budding in a little bit. Suppose, though, this AM station is, is the target what is being said, what's on that channel in a pristine way is what you're after or what's good. Then crank it up to the max volume and try to hear what's being said on the radio while having a worldly conversation with other passengers in the car. How successful will you receive the AM broadcast? What's the issue? way too many distractions, way too, much, way too noisy. Like the parable of the soils, most people can't hear the truth, which is tantamount to not really wanting to hear it, but we'll leave that on the table. Most people can't hear the truth because they have chosen to turn the world radio up to full volume and have worldly conversations on the side and et cetera, et cetera. That's a picture of their life their life is just noise and so like the parable of the soils the truth the one pristine thing that channel in the middle of it all gets choked out by the rest of it by what we might call the details of life which by the way we all choose to have in our lives amen it's one way of inadvertently and God knows better but it's one way I think we're expert we just add more and more things to our life to drown out the truth about our own ugliness. We just keep adding things to our lives to make so much noise that we look in the mirror and say, God, I can't even help it. I'm trying to listen, God, but I can't because you can see all this noise. And he's saying, yeah, you put it all there. Get rid of it. Your pastor's been talking about cleaning up and simplifying your life now for five years. And you still haven't done it because you do it on purpose. That's the whole point. Anyways, the truth gets choked out by the details of life. Way too much noise. When we can't hear the truth, we remain in bondage. That's the shame of it. For it is the truth that shall make us free. John 8.32 If the word of truth is equivalent to some, of some background AM radio station playing, then you have an issue to ponder. If that's what the truth is in your life, if it's not the pure, you know, CD version, you know, I'm driving by myself, perfect crystalline, you know, transmission of, nor- of, uh, of music, whatever. If it's not, if it's pushed back as an AM station, it's not even tuned all the way, and it's, it's up on full blast, and it's cross noise, and then there's people talking here about, you know, how their worldly life's going. If that's you, then you have a lot to think about. Again, the point on the board. Freedom of bondage. This is your choice. The approach to truth dictates what you find. If that's your approach, I'm going ma- to put it on as an AM channel in the background. <laughs> I'm not even going to spend any time really, you know, it in so I can hear it. I'm just going to, like, get close and leave it on and just, you know, tune it out eventually. Your approach to truth dictates what you find. Jesus said, he who He is." To hear, let them hear. I mean, the perfect example, of course, is with an unbeliever. They are deaf, completely deaf, but you get the point. What is it then that is so distracting that man regularly and willingly puts his faith and trust in? Remember, the way we started off, to whatever degree you put your trust in self, it's distracting and detracting from your trust in Him. Go to Psalm 20, verse 7. So we're going to get a little nuts and bolts here this evening. What is so distracting, anyways? What is it that um, allows us or incites us or tempts us to put our faith in something other than him? Well, the Bible, you know, not the new under the sun. I mean, the, 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 the times have changed, but you'll see. Psalm 20, verse 7. Right. Some of you, <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but back in the day, we used to call our cars chariots. Oh, maybe that was just us. Scott, don't act. You know you did it down there in Cranston. You Italian. Look at my chariot. <laughs> Psalm 20, verse 7. Some boast in chariots and some in horses. Look at my ride. Look at my hoop. It's better than yours. Look at how many horsepower. Oh, man, this is. I'm going to roll. Horses? That's short for horsepower. Anybody? How many horses you got under that chariot? Nobody? Some boast in chariots and some in horses. All right? I got more horses than you. But we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. Up here on the board, this is the point perverse respect for worldly measurements. Perversely respect for worldly measurements. Quote, a just balance and scales belongs to the Lord. All the weights of the bag are his concern. Proverbs 16, 11. We're going to depend on anyone in terms of the weightiness or or measurements of value or worth. Then we have to turn to God. We must be careful to disallow worldly measurements. For example, numbers. How many horses you got under there? Mm Mm-hmm. 290. I got 291. 300. I got 301. How many shares you own? Oh, 30 percent. I own 31 percent. As long as I'm a smidgen better than you, I feel better about myself. How tall you? Six foot. I'm six foot and one half inch. How much you weigh? Uh, 80 pounds. 79. Right. What are we doing? Who? Who cares? Honest to goodness, if you look at the things that people measure in this world and put credence in and then tie self-esteems to and encourage you to do the same, it's, it's, dis- it's despicable. It's, it's literally um, heinous. It's a complete trap. We must be careful to disallow worldly measurements, for example, numbers, to become the impetus for the respect we give. How many times have you been at a party, right? This has happened recently. I didn't pick up on it, but um, some other folks that were at the same party picked up on it. Someone that I really enjoy spending time with, I guess they talk a lot about money. I didn't pick up on it, but I guess they do that thing. Nice enough people, nice couple, but I guess they spend a disproportionate amount of time talking about money. Not theirs, other people's. Hey, did you know that this person owns this kind of a car and it's worth $100,000? And they sold it and got like three more. And they got this really good d- Now they've they got, they got so much money. Their cars are worth so much money. They spent inordinate amounts of time talking about someone else's money. And everybody's like, oh, really? Oh, what, wow, really? And everybody's like enamored. And I'm saying, I'm glad I wasn't there because I probably would have walked away. I can only take so much of that crap. But that is the world. You ever noticed that? You could be talking about an unbeliever. Complete jackass unbeliever who literally denounces Jesus Christ. But because it's Steve Jobs, you want to talk about him. Because he's a famous inventor, somehow he has worth and you want to talk about him. Because he owns the business that you work for, somehow he's phenomenal. It's crazy what we respect, and what the impetus for the level of respect is. Why in the world would anything as transient as wealth be any reason to respect anybody? Why would that ever be a reason? Why would anybody, just because what, God made them what, more handsome than the next guy? Somehow that's supposed to be what, valuable? Isn't that the problem with, wasn't that the problem with Saul and David? Wasn't that the problem? It doesn't matter if you're short, tall, fat, skinny, ugly, pretty. It does not matter. Rich, poor, it does not matter. Try to tell that even to the average Christian nowadays. And don't just ask them, because they'll respond, you know, maybe if they're well-taught with some biblical stuff, oh, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, then why do you keep talking about the rich owner of your company? Why do you keep striving after the wind? Why do you keep putting all your eggs in this basket? Why do you have so much damn respect for somebody who could care less about your Lord and Savior? Why? It's the, most, it's, the, it's the craziest disconnect. That's how you know someone's a BSer. They say one thing, but then they live another way. Their value system uh, speaks volumes beyond what they say. Jesus, that's hypocrisy, that's hypocrisy, by the way. Jesus despised it. He would rather you come out and say, you know what, I'm a money-hungry slob. He would say, good, now i got something to work with. You need a physician. Do you understand the difference? He'd rather have that person. They're still ugly, but at least they're not a hypocrite, which is ugly. It was just transcendently ugly. (laughs) You know know what I'm saying? That's, That's what we have to be careful of, not to be that person, to talk a big game, but then when we dig down and say, who is it that I respect in this world? For real. Who is it that I really, truly respect in this world? And don't just talk about what the right thing to say is, in, in, in practice. Who do you habitually think about in terms of respect? Who do you want to, quote, be like? Who do you want to emulate? Who do you want to mimic? Whose faith do you want to have, and faith in what? Uh, you name it. At the end of the day, who do you respect? And does the, amount, does the magnitude of the respect you're giving this person, or this thing, or whatever, is it based on worldly standards or worldly measurements? You follow? Are they really a better person because they're, they own some superlative in your little circle of life? Are they really a better person because they're the, you fill in the blank, E-S-T, whatever, dash E-S-T, whatever that thing, S, greatest, whatever? Is that, does that really, is that something we should really be spending any real time on? Yeah, the Bible has a lot to say about this, my friends. Uh, Matthew 10, 28. Deuteronomy 20, 1 to 4. Leviticus 26, verse 7 to 8. Psalm 33, 16 to 21. Isaiah 31, 1 to 3. Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24. For starters, we don't have a whole lot of time doing this thing, but this has everything to do with our confidence as it relates to the Lord. Where do we place our confidence? Do we say one thing and we're split? Are we dip And that's what makes us miserable? We wonder why we're miserable. Because you're double-minded, that's why. It literally says you should expect nothing from the Lord. How you go in, it's the attitude, the approach to truth. What you put in is what you get out. You put in phoniness and hypocrisy, guess what you get back? Misery. That's the fruit of ungodliness. You put in truth, trust, love, faith, you get back peace. Isn't that beautiful? I know. Perverse respect for worldly measurements. America is polluted. Polluted with this problem. Not just kind of, not just a little bit. I mean thoroughly polluted with this problem. And it takes a lot of us a long time to step back and go, you know, I never realized that about myself. I really was placing respect uh, and honor even on the lap of somebody for the wrong reasons. Man puts his trust in the things held in high regard by the world. The world uses its own measuring stick and most people accept it. If the world were to bet on David or Goliath, which would it have chosen? Goliath was nine feet tall. David was rather short and slight and young. Which one? Let's face it. The world goes, (laughs) no faith in God, like David had, and he had the secret sauce, right? But no faith in God. Okay, i got a nine-footer over here, and i got this guy over here, this kid. Who are you going to vote on? Who do you think? You're going to take Goliath every time, right? Go to Deuteronomy 20, verse 1. Deuteronomy 20, verse 1. Why? Because you'd be using the world standard. David was completely free of that standard, which is why he strikes us as so odd, which is why Saul said, What, are you kidding me? You're just a boy. So? I don't measure success that way. Deuteronomy 20, verse 1 when you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. In other words, do not respect or trust numbers. Do not respect or trust numbers. That's exactly what he's saying. Do not be afraid. Fear and respect, they're close cousins, right? Do not fear, do not respect numbers, for the Lord your God, who brought you up from the land of Egypt, is with you. When you are approaching the battle, the priests shall come near and speak to the people. He shall say to them, "Hear, O Israel, you are approaching the battle against your enemies today. Do not be faint-hearted. Do not be afraid or panic or tremble before them. For the Lord your God." is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. The word approach is even in that passage. Do you see it? After all we've learned in Holy Scripture, are we to place our trust in numbers? Are we? Are we going to place our trust in numbers? Isn't that part of what David did when he took a census? Indeed, for his ego was being stroked, and he uh, maybe wanted his faith to be tied to the size of his army. Hey, let me, let me do a census here. I want to see how much, you know, how big our army has gotten. I want to take a census. And the Lord did not like that, because he knew David's heart was wrong in it. Why, do you, why, are, you, why are you taking, why are you taking uh, a census, David? What, what, what does that matter? It didn't matter. You didn't take a census of height when you went against Goliath, did you? What happened to you? What happened to you? You didn't worry about worldly measurements then. Why are you worried about them now? God saw that his heart was wrongly oriented and it incurred a grave punishment. The same goes with us, my friends. God sees our hearts and where we put our faith and trust regardless of what we say regardless of what we say. Up here on the board, Matthew ten twenty-eight 28, and the Amplified. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather be afraid of him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Do not respect worldly fears. Do not respect worldly fears. This is the attitude of the warrior who trusts in the Lord. Whose confidence is in the Lord, as our series title states. Here's some more of that warrior attitude. Go to Leviticus 26, verse 7. Leviticus 26, verse 7. This is the kind of trouble we get into when we use the measuring stick from the world. War is a perfect example. We're always at war. You're at war. EVERY TIME YOU STEP OUTSIDE OF YOUR HOME. YOU'RE AT WAR ON THE INSIDE BECAUSE YOU'VE GOT AN ENEMY CALLED YOUR FLESH. YOU'RE ALWAYS AT WAR. WHAT DO YOU TRUST? THE FLESH WHO SAYS, LOOK AT YOU, YOU'VE BEEN WORKING OUT. YOU CAN TAKE THAT GUY. YOU'RE SO SMART. YOU'VE BEEN STUDYING UP. YOU CAN JUST TRAMPLE OVER EVERYBODY ELSE AT WORK AND GET THAT PROMOTION. BY, YOU KNOW, MAYBE you JUST GOT TO TRAMPLE A FEW PEOPLE. MAYBE, YOU KNOW, MAYBE GOD WILL TURN A BLIND EYE. MAYBE you GOT TO DO THIS THING. YOU KNOW, BUT AT THE END OF THE DAY, WHATEVER. Leviticus 26, verse 7. Those are the battles that we wage in our own souls. But you will chase your enemies, and they will fall before you by the sword. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall before you by the sword. Back to our key point up here on the board. Perverse respect for worldly measurements. A just balance and scales belong to the Lord, all the weights of the bag are his concern. We must be careful to disallow worldly measurements, for example, numbers, to become the impetus for the respect we give. Go to Psalm 33:16. Psalm 33:16. <laughs> respect fear, these things are completely tied to confidence as we know. Psalm 33, verse 16. The king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, those who fear what? Him. Those who respect Him. His power. His ability to deliver. On those who hope for His loving kindness. To deliver their soul from death. And to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart rejo- rejoices in Him because we trust in His holy name we trust again perverse respect for worldly measurements we must be careful to disallow worldly measurements to become the impetus for the respect we give go to Isaiah 31 verse 1 Isaiah 31 verse 1 do the effort to translate what you're seeing in Holy Scripture to your own life we all wage battle we all have things that we've measured by world standards, and we all have this little basket of goodies that those measurements fall into, and we feel better about ourselves because we got them. Isaiah 31.1 Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, and trust in chariots, because they are many, and in horsemen, because they are very strong. But they do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. Woe to those people who show up in great numbers but do not have the Lord. That's the whole point. So what? You show up in great numbers, some goodie basket filled with something that the world esteems. Big stinking deal. Big deal. You didn't show up with Christ. You showed up like a jackass. You showed up to fight on another field, not a righteous one, an unrighteous one. I always get a kick about it. That's a, that's a huge test for all of us to take. We all do it. When we know we're going to win in the world, we fight the world's way. And then we hold our arms up like this in our trophies. When we think we're going to lose, we say, well, I'm going to depend on God. That's dipsukos, you see. That's a split personality. We like the world when we can dominate it. We lean on God when we realize we can't in some area. Right? some of you or Scott when he goes to the gym goes next to the little skinny high school kids you don't know get that right you know what I'm saying we, we love it we, we endorse the world economy when we can dominate it that's just a shuka right in its own element But we turn to God when we think we can't win there. That's gross. That's literally just using God. That's gross. That's what we're seeing, though. That's what we're seeing. You show up with all the horses and the chariots and the, you know, whatever. And you show up without God, though. Verse 2. Yet he also is wise and will bring disaster and does not retract his words, but will arise against the house of evildoers and against the help of the workers of iniquity. Now the Egyptians are men and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. So the Lord will stretch out his hand, and he who helps will stumble, and he who is helped will fall, and all of them will come to an end together. How about Jeremiah 9.23? Jeremiah 9.23. I hope you see what the Spirit's bringing out this evening. It's a very important point, because we all do it. We all use the world's measurements, especially when those measurements add up in our favor. We don't like it when the measurements don't add up in our favor. We come crawling back to Bible class, or we go read our Bible for comfort, right? Or we turn on Joel Osteen so he can encourage you some more. You know, when you're stung and you're... you know, you're <laughs> I, I just have no tolerance for it. It makes sense, too, because neither did Jesus. He hated hypocrites. Jeremiah 9:23. Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might, and let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boast, boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises love and kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Hmm. Again, perverse respect for worldly measurements. We've got to be real careful about adopting worldly measurements, especially when we are the one who is, quote, improved, quote, increased. The one who is esteemed more. Those are the tricky ones because that's the... uh, that's the temptation side of it. That's the, the seductive side of worldly measurements. Very often, we end up on top. And we say, well, that's kind of cool. I don't really have to lean on God for this one because I'm already awesome. And in my perverted sense of success, that's what I want. Awesome for me. Not awesome for the Lord. Not laying down your life for others. Not laying down your life for the Lord. Awesome for me. And then the the, the sickest one of all is when you call that a blessing. Lord has blessed me again. I got up, I looked in the mirror, and I was even better looking. The Lord has blessed me yet again. (laughs) Uh, We love that side of the equation, don't we? We just don't like this one. So we go scurrying off to God with our tail between our legs. God gives us so many reasons in the Bible to trust Him, to approach Him in good faith. Let's borrow from that key principle I opened up with this evening up here on the board. Freedom or bondage? The approach to truth dictates what you find. Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So in other words, you can be hard of hearing. The worst case is an unbeliever, of course, which is in view there, but you get the point. So much of our success in the spiritual life is tied to how we approach the truth. I wrote this past week's blog titled Two Ways of Approaching the Truth to address this very issue. It also came up on Sunday up here on the board, Trust, a.k.a. Faith. It's a counterfeit quest for truth if you reserve the right to reject it once you find it. If the Bible says, hey, you're awfully ugly today, and you say, no, I'm not. I'm looking pretty good compared to the world standards. When I stand up to this guy over here, I'm like head and shoulders over him. world says I measure up just great. <laughs> Guess I don't have a problem. I'll come see you when I think I have a problem, God. Ouch. It's a counterfeit quest for truth if you reserve the right to reject it once you find it. To reject, now listen, this is how this is strung together. To reject the truth in the Word of God is to reject the Word itself. To reject the Word is to reject Christ himself. To reject Christ is to reject his love. Reject the truth in the Word, you reject the Word. You reject the Word, you reject Christ. To reject Christ is to reject love. Jesus despises hypocrites especially when it pertains to love. Despises hypocrites, especially as it pertains to love. Up here on the board. The sphere of love. What's he say? John 15, 9 to 17. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. we have gone over this a million times. If, you're not, if you don't trust him to keep his commandments, you're not abiding in his love. You're, you're a phony. And vice versa. But I have called you friends. This I command you, that you love one another. In other words, spread the wealth. Join my economy. That sphere that I keep reverting back to, that sphere of love, that's God's economy. Inside of that is everything pure. And everything works with perfect harmony and synchronicity. He says, abide in that thing and you'll be all set. Abide in my love. And by the way, love one another. Because that's what we do in here. That's what we do. It's not loving one another by saying, psst, I'm better than you. See our little basket of goodies? Yeah, mine's bigger. Mine's fuller. Apparently, I'm better than you. And then when they turn around and do it to you, you go, oh, Daddy, Jesus, somebody saved me. I'm being attacked. Wait a minute, isn't that the same economy you just seduced somebody else into? Isn't it? It's amazing, the games we play. The sphere of love that Jesus has invited you into isn't a cause for recoiling. It's a place of rejoicing, albeit, as I mentioned on Sunday, brutally open, honest, and naked. If you're being ugly, he's going to tell you. If you're being beautiful, he'll he'll tell you that too. You get the truth from him, your best friend. Here's the final point from Sunday's message, and I love this point. Isn't honesty what makes true love so grand? Isn't it? Just be honest with me. At all costs, just be honest with me. Under under that premise alone, I will know that you love me. Because I know how much it hurts you sometimes to tell me I'm being ugly. In that moment, I know that you love me. Because only love would do that thing. Someone who doesn't love me would lie to me. Would propagate misery in my life. Would be happy to see it propagated. FOR SELFISH REASONS, BECAUSE MAYBE THAT PERSON BENEFITS. GEEZ, I DON'T WANT THEM TO STRAIGHTEN OUT. BECAUSE <laughs> THEN OUR LITTLE economy's ALL UPSET. THE apple cart's UPSET. WE CAN'T GO OUT ON FRIDAY NIGHTS TO, YOU KNOW, THE CLUB. WE CAN'T HOE OUT LATER ON. WE CAN'T DO THIS THING. <laughs> I DON'T KNOW. I MEAN, NOBODY IN HERE, I HOPEFULLY, NEVER DOES THAT. BUT YOU KNOW WHAT I'M SAYING, RIGHT? WE CAN'T. Do, WHAT DOES PEOPLE DO NOWADAYS? IT'S PRETTY DISGUSTING. I'M JUST SAYING. PEOPLE DO THIS STUFF. Isn't, that's not love. That's the whole point. It's gross. It's, it's, it's diseased, F- figuratively and literally. It's diseased. Isn't honesty what makes true love so grand? Yeah. If you don't have honesty in a relationship, what the hell do you have? Nothing. Literally, literally nothing. You got nothing to stand on. There's no basis for your relationship. It's just wood, hay, and straw. It's it's, uh, sand on a beach. And as soon as the big waves come, you know, the ones in life, God forbid you're married, as soon as the big waves come, it just goes... And it just goes... Because the relationship was built on lies. Honesty is what makes true love so grand. Now, the problem is man's hang-up with his own imperfections. We focus on our shame rather than the one thing that can overcome all of it. And here's a hint for that here on the board. Proverbs 10, 12, Part B. But love covers all transgressions. Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's a principle. That's a principle. Even God abides by that principle. Excuse me. Do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. Who taught these principles more than Jesus? No one. No one. He was perfectly good, and he perfectly loved. And he dined with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. And then when he went to lunch with the Pharisees, he said, woe to you you hypocrites you see the distinction there same person same love same integrity same goodness same righteousness dined with sinners people who weren't hypocrites people said yes I'm a prostitute just gonna say I didn't set out to do that when I was 10 but here I am I'm a prostitute I'm a tax collector and I'm a thief I'm a crooked cop I don't pay my tax. You know, whatever. I do all these things. At least admit who you are. You see the difference? Same guy, same love, same goodness. Different scenarios. He despised hypocrites. So don't be a hypocrite. (laughs) Think of the way he thought. He thought in the perfect sphere of love, and righteousness. He despised hypocrisy because he knows how damaging it is. So who taught these principles more than Jesus? No one. The Spirit's saying to you all now, stop wallowing in self-pity and shame and recognize what Jesus accomplished on the cross, despite all that. In other words, focus on His love for you. Focus on His love for you for you. And I was thinking about shame because it's a, we don't have time to get into it, but it's an interesting topic because it traces all the way back to the Garden of Eden at the fall when Adam and Eve saw each other and were ashamed. Shame is a result of the fall, part of the curse, and it did not exist prior. Jesus knows your shame. He bore it on the cross, remember, willingly. Talk about a real friend. Up here on the board, John 10:17 to 18a. For this reason, the Father loves me. You see the sphere of love, because I laid down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. Love overcomes all transgressions. Could have just said, ah, "They're not worth it. I'm just not going to do this thing. I'm not going to humble myself." God didn't have to humble himself and become a man and die, so that we had a solution to our problem. He didn't have to do that, but he did do it. And when Jesus was here, he did it on his own initiative. Why? Love. So, we've got about three minutes left. Let's just throw out some practical stuff. Compare this pristine sphere of love that the Spirit keeps coming back to, that Christ has invited us into. Compare that with our present lives. Compare what you see in this sphere, in its perfect purity. Compare that existence with whatever you call, whatever your life is. And what's the delta between the two? We know from Holy Scripture that there is no fear in love, 1 John 4.18. They are mutually exclusive spheres, Again, considering our present lives, up here on the board, fear or faith, what is our base of operations? Which dominates us, fear or faith? Does sharing the truth scare us or excite us? Are we selfish or selfless? Selfless, also known as less of self. Are you afraid of real intimacy? Do you harbor trust issues? Is this baggage from the old sin nature? The fearful person is the selfish one. The fearless person is the selfless one. Remember, love takes risks up here on the board. Selfless, less of self. The predominant feature of selflessness is faith. Where do you put your faith? The motivation is love. Where is your love? Our hope is the truth or is it the truth changes others even First Corinthians thirteen, thirteen. How do we express ourselves? Hmm. Yeah, let's go quickly back to our friends. Now, this is all points of review at this point. I'm trying to find a good spot for you to end. Now that we have a good picture of our perfect friend and his invitation to true friendship, we can examine the pattern of our relationships for some more uh, uh, answers up here on the board truth to lies do we seek friends that lie to us have our friends sought us because we've lied to them do we seek friends that lie to us have our friends sought us because we've lied to them i think i'll end with that which economy do we prefer i know when you come here for the most part you're in god's economy you get it you get the purity of devotion to christ here oh yeah the sphere of god i love it so Awesome, that's where I want to be. And then the momentum of your life out there is a whole other economy. And that economy and all the measuring yardsticks and the measuring sticks and all that stuff, everything you've you've placed your esteem in was set by the world. And all your friends out there, for some of you, just lie and say, you know what? You really are a swell guy because you're better in this way or a swell gal because you're so good at this thing. Those are liars. And do you play the game? Do you reciprocate? Do you say, oh, great, thanks. Oh, and by the way, I think you're a swell guy too because, I don't know, whatever the superlative is they have. Where's Christ in that equation? Whose confidence or in in which sphere do we place our confidence? Is the Lord our confidence in the sphere of love? Or is the world our confidence in this sphere over here where the God of this world dominates? These are the questions on our table. We are out of time. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us truth that sets us free. Thank you for never pulling punches with us. Thank you for always challenging us. Thank you for always making it personal. Father, we just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned back to our homes and out to a world that's just in desperate need of the truth. Father, we ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit we do pray. Amen.